Welcome to SIDCast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. My name is David Gibson. If you could, before you get any further into today's episode, go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a few minutes and it allows for the show to grow uh, as we expand upon our listenership, our fan base, and as well as telling the SID story. So, uh, also, be sure to go ahead and go over to Twitter and Facebook. Give us a follow at SportsInfoCast on both of those platforms as well. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Guys, I hope your week is going well, and I hope that all this madness, March madness, is kind of winding down to an end. Uh, we are actually, I'm actually taking laps around the Ford Center right now just to kind of get my legs going a little bit because we just had our first two games of the NCAA Division II Elite Eight. Uh, it's been quite a fun ride. We just had St. Anselm um, this morning, the five seed advance as well as the uh, 35-0 Northwest Missouri State Bearcats also advanced. But we decided, so John and I are both here, and we thought that it would be a good idea to kind of release this episode to you guys as we are going through the Elite Eight process. Um, We are currently on site, so uh, a little bit hectic and a lot of it stressful. So um, what we will start off today is with John Keane of the Missouri S&T Miners, and we'll kind of go through his journey, how he kind of facilitated all these things to get NCAA Division II basketball started, how he's been at pretty much almost every Elite Eight, it feels like, working as basketball after basketball championships and all that more right here on a brand new episode of SID Cast. I kind of started after um, my undergraduate days in college, actually, and it never really occurred to me to get into this field during that time because my kind of my goal when I was um, going through high school and into college was going to being a writer and all that. And I'd worked on the campus newspaper when I was in college. I worked on a high school newspaper prior to that. And, you know, in the summer of 1986, I'm trying to date myself a little bit here, obviously. Um, I got a call from Ron Hines, the sports race director at Southeast Missouri State, my alma mater. And he um, had an opportunity for me to be a graduate assistant in his office. So I thought about it for about a day, and I never really thought much about grad school at the time, but I decided to go ahead and uh, take the opportunity and, you know, see what it would, you know, amount to and see if it was something I'd enjoy. And it turned out it worked out pretty well. And I spent really three years in that office doing that uh, for Ron. And then, um, spent a year in the job search mode, and then I got the job here at Missouri S&T. I was in University of Missouri Roth at that point in time, 1990, and started there in the summer of that year, and I've been here ever since. What uh, what interaction with SIDs did you have during your undergrad days working with the student newspaper? Some. I mean, I would travel from time to time. I would cover a lot of home games. I'd get to meet a number of them um, when they make visits to Southeast, uh, for football games or basketball games in particular. Um, so I got to know a few of them over, you know, over that point in time. 
Uh, obviously, I think know them a lot better when I got into the um, sports formation field and mm. travel with teams and get to know them at that point in time, and you know get to learn from them. And obviously, we had a lot of you know great people in the MIAA at the time when we were in the MIAA in Southeast. So that's probably where I got more of my interaction. Probably once I got to be a GA, um, mm. more goes in as a writer, but as a writer, I got to get some opportunities to meet some of them in the field too. What were some uh, big adjustments that you had? I know that you had a huge writing background, but I mean, what were some things that you had to do, maybe some things that you had to learn that first couple of years with uh, uh, Missouri Southeastern? I think um, the biggest one was just how to write for this field, because if you're a journalist, you're going to be, you're writing objectively, you're writing, you know, kind of, kind of what you see, you might be a little critical and stuff like that, whereas when you get into the sports information writing mode, it's kind of more of a PR type mode where you really try to be you know, on the positive side with it. You still have to be honest with people, but you have to be really, you know, kind of tilt your, you know, your writing towards being honest with people, you know, being up front with promoting your athletes and stuff like that. So that was probably my biggest adjustment right there was just how to write, you know, for the mode I'm working in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can totally get that because there's sometimes like when when I went through a high school student newspaper, uh, it feels like it's totally different because I think you're absolutely right with the PR thing. It's more PR than, than anything else. And when I got here, and I'll tell you this story, John. My very first thing I ever wrote, I was at a small school at Fort Wayne and Zach Shore, who listens to the show from time to time, uh, was the uh, SID. And he took what I wrote, Command A, Backspace. And that and it all went out the window right there, and I was like, I know nothing about how to write, so uh, uh, quite the learning lesson. But um, you mentioned that you were in the uh, job search mode for a year. I mean, what was what was that like for you? I mean, where where were you kind of at with life like at that time? Well, what I did for that one year um, was I was done working doing grad school, and I was kind of in the mode trying to find a job in the field, and. So I spent a year in the St. Louis area where I grew up, and my the one year I actually spent substitute teaching as a means to just keep some income going and all that. You know, unfortunately, I was with my mom and dad at the time, just that one year when I was still trying to find something. But I was working as a substitute teacher, and I think actually that was a job. Believe it or not, I think it actually helped me going into this field. Believe it or not, going into it as a full time person, because the one thing I really hadn't done a lot of prior to that was public speaking. Well, yeah. if you're a substitute teacher, you're in front of a class every day, and you're in front of different people every day, and you've got to be able to communicate with them in that form. So I think that one year doing that, I think really was beneficial to me, believe it or not, as I went forward in the SID field. And now, you know, I do my share of, you know, speaking things and all that, with you know, maybe press conferences or banquet speaking or Hall of Fame inductions and things like that, you know, where I'm actually, you know, maybe doing some radio work, as you know, so I think that one year doing that, I think, was really beneficial going forward for me to get a chance to actually where I had to actually get in front of people and speak to them and somebody just hadn't done that much of. So I think that was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, how about some things that maybe there's an SID out there that might be stuck in kind of the same situation? Maybe they're looking for some sort of job. Because my friend, uh, he um, does the prosthetics. He's getting his doctorate for prosthetics at Northwestern and just to make himself stay afloat. He's substitute teaching, like you said. So what were some things, maybe some words of encouragement you have for a current free agent or maybe job-seeking SIDs? I think uh, just keep the faith, stay patient. You know, 
basically you have to, you know, keep your ears to the tracks to see what opportunities are available for you. And, you know, certainly apply if there's a job out there that's certainly in tight, you know, if you're certainly interested in, you know, go after it. You know, try to, you know, send them your resume, send them your cover letter, send them, you know, the information they need to, you know, certainly take into consideration, give them your best stuff and, you know, just keep, you know, plugging away at it. That's why I had to kind of do too. I mean, I applied for a number of jobs. I got turned down for a number of jobs, obviously, until this opportunity came up here. So, by, you know, by word of wisdom, there would be just stay, you know, patient with it and just keep plugging away and hopefully something will land in your favor. What are some things that maybe you told yourself when you got a bunch of those uh, rejections? What do I want to do with my life? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> one thing I'd actually considered, you know, I was probably six or so months into this thing and I was in, at the time doing the substitute teaching and all that. Do I want to maybe go back to school again and maybe get a teaching degree and do that? Which I think I might have considered doing had this opportunity not come about. Mm-hmm. So I did, you know, have some thoughts of, you know, what do I want to do with my future? I want to just keep plugging away at this job search that, you know, maybe is not landing anything for me, or do I just want to try and maybe take a different approach to things, maybe keep substitute teaching for a while while I'm getting my teaching degree and then, or teaching certificate, I should say, and then maybe go that route. That was something that certainly came to mind, you know, during that period of time. Uh, what, what did you know about the University of Missouri at Rolla at the time? I was pretty aware, but I had actually friends that went to school here and all that, and we played the MIAA with the Southeast. So, and I'd been here to the campus a few times. Um, so I was pretty familiar with the place. I knew it was a very strong academic school, obviously. And, you know, at the time, in particular, it was really very engineering-based. Now the school's got a little more diverse since then. They've, you know, added some, you know, more liberal arts programs. They've got a very strong program in like biological sciences and, you know, stuff like that now. But obviously I knew the academic reputation was great. And I had, like I said, I had some friends that, you know, went to school down here and, you know, got their degrees and, you know, obviously the individuals who go to school here are going to have a great opportunity to, you know, get good jobs out of this place. Uh, I know like right now the starting average starting salary for our graduate is over $60,000. Oh, wow. So, you know, certainly there's a lot of opportunities, you know, for students coming out of here. So I knew the quality of the school was, you know, very good, needless to say. So, yeah, I was pretty familiar with their programs and all that because, like I said, being the MIAA at Southeast with UMR at the time, you know, I had a lot of familiarity with it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, something that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago is um – trying to market or maybe try to promote a team that or a school that is, I mean, you got science and technology in the name, but you have all these other majors as well. I mean, what's it like? We talked to this a little bit with uh, Michael Smoose uh, last week uh, on the show, and his school is mostly known for, like, culinary. So, and it's kind of hard to break that mold. So what are some things that you guys do in rural Missouri to kind of break out of that box that, you, that you're known for? Well, I think... Part of it is we, in some ways, we've kind of repackaged our um, university a little bit to where we don't so much talk about it as being an engineering school. We talk about it as being a STEM school, which okay. means science and technology and mathematics and um, engineering. Um, is it engineering? Engineering, yeah. yeah. So we're really, you know, spacing it more towards that stuff now as far as our the way we market our university. So it's it's kind of showing more of the diversity of the campus that we have 
as opposed to just thinking it's just an engineering school. It's, you know, that's not the way we're trying to market ourselves anymore. We're trying to show we are more than just that. You know, we have more than those two. We have a business program here at our university. We've got, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of people going to biological sciences with opportunities to go into medical school or, you know, stuff like that. We've got opportunities with the liberal arts programs like history and English where they can go on and be teachers somewhere. They may go finish their degree maybe at Mizzou or something like that, get their teaching degrees. So there's certainly opportunities out there beyond engineering that, you know, I think we're trying to let people know we have those as well besides, you know, the you know, top-notch engineering programs we have at this campus. What are some ways that you think you can do that? I know some places uh, do a lot of feature stories on their athletes who have maybe an internship or something. Well, I think you look at the stories they have for the ones who are finishing up or the ones who are out of this, you know, off this campus. Um, we have, I'll just use an example here, our um, women's basketball team from about eight years ago that went to the NCAA tournament that year. Um, one of our better players is now a nurse in St. Louis. Uh, another player off that team is now a teacher at Francis House Central. Another player is a player coach at a school over in um, Jefferson County. So you can take the success stories that have shown where these individuals have gone and all that and, you know, highlight those and show, you know, you can come to school here, you can get a degree, and you can do very well in a field. It doesn't necessarily have to be an engineering field. You can you know, cite those examples right there and – you know, be able to highlight that along with the, you know, the great engineering stories that we do have. Let's talk a little bit about uh, um, maybe telling a story from a university that has evolved over time. I mean, you said that at the time it was the University of Missouri Rolla, now it's Missouri Science and Technology. So, what was that kind of process like trying to get the name Missouri ST out there in people's heads instead of Missouri Rolla? Well, I think, you know, it was about a one, one and a half year process in doing that. Uh, once a decision made, was made to make the name change, and this was done back in 2006 with a launch date of January 1, 2008, we had to spend a lot of time, you know, I think the biggest thing was just spending the time to get the word out that this is where we were going and making sure we had kind of all our I's dotted and T's crossed along the way to make sure everything, you know, we had to make sure it was covered all the way to signage on campus to, you know, when we were going to do our big launch of apparel, you know, just everything that was kind of involved with a name change to let people know this is going to happen is, you know, it took probably about a year, year and a half to get all this stuff done. Yeah. And even after the name change happened, there was still some, there's still some adjustment period in there, you know, probably for probably a good month or six months to a year after that, just trying to, you know, make sure that what what to call us. I mean, Missouri S&T is what we call ourselves. I know science technology is there, but we don't, we try to short it just, you know, for the sake of doing it that way for making it easy for everybody. Uh-huh. But I think it was just a matter, you just got to just really work on communicating that point that this is what we are. And we felt like that was a necessary move as a campus because we were concerned of being too similar to the campus up in Columbia, the yeah. big campus system. So we felt like this was a way to kind of, you know, give us our own identity. Although we were still a part of the system, we'd had our own identity within this, you know, within our own campus where we wouldn't kind of cut down the confusion with our campus and the Columbia campus. 
Let's talk, kind of same phrasing of question, but you guys just uh, unleashed some new logos and stuff like that, which looks very nice, by the way. Um, what was kind of, this, yeah, it looks good. I think, I like it a lot, actually. Um, I like, I always like uh, the cream color for some reason. I've been a big fan of that, and the way that you guys kind of use that in gold together, it, it, I'm a huge fan of, because you guys were here, what was it, like a month ago, maybe? Oh, yeah. yeah, and it lo- it just looks so good. But um, what's the discussion like as far as your office between a university, maybe uh, some other offices on campus when discussing changing a brand? Well, in our particular case here, we worked, um, number one, with our communications office on campus, uh, mainly our publications, like wing of that office, to put together concepts of what we wanted to do. And we had an outside firm that came in and helped us with it as well. And a couple of things we did is we did some like little smaller meetings with student athletes, with our coaching staff and administrative staff. We just look at the concepts to see, you know, do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? You know, what looks better? You know, we had discussions. Do we want to keep the old stuff even? That was part of that discussion as well because, you know, you've had this other stuff for 10, 11 years already since we made the name change. But I think it was just the decision was made, um, you know, kind of, a consensus decision there that we wanted to, you know, kind of modernize some things a little bit with our logos, kind of streamline things. And one of the good things with our new um, branding materials we have is now we have more sports specific stuff that we didn't have before. So, if, you know, for instance, a baseball team wanted to put, you know, Missouri State baseball on their stuff. Now we've got a concept for them. It was still even a little bit mishmashes to a degree with the old stuff because, you know, I want to kind of do something a little different with the logos and what you can do with it. Now it's very, you know, straightforward. You can do this with this logo, you can do this with this logo, and this with that logo. And, you know, I think we've got a pretty extensive package now of stuff that we didn't have before. And I think it was just a matter of really, you know, getting all the groups together and, you know, come up with a concept that was going to work that would satisfy everybody. And I think we you know we all you know, kind of communicated that together. We all got to put feedback in on it, and we came up with a concept that seems to have gone over very well since we launched it in April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. Um, let's get back to some of your background here a little bit. You're, you're heavily involved, and, and I know we we mentioned a couple times that you're here uh, about a month ago, but you're going to be here at the time of this airing here in about a week for the Elite Eight. So, how did you get involved with things like that? Uh, can you spare no detail uh, as to kind of your duties, the things that you do with the Elite Eight here at D2? Well, I'll start with kind of how it began. And I think I have to go back probably about two decades. Oh, good, yeah. Elite Eights, I've worked six of the last seven Elite Eights, and it'll be seven or eight coming up here when I go to Evansville here pretty soon. The first one I worked, actually, I was at the first Elite Eight back in 1989 in Springfield, Massachusetts, when I was at Southeast and we were in the field at the Elite Eight, and at that time I was a GA. So I got to go up there and actually help our staff out with, you know, getting some stuff done up there. My boss was also there as well because he was the contact for the team, but I was helping him with some secondary things there as well, namely working on stats on you know, the nightly basis to get them ready for the next day. Really, I think it kind of all began where my real involvement with D2 basketball kind of came about about 1995-96. And this came about kind of the time really when the internet was really starting to become a bigger thing. 
And I can remember we were out in Denver at Poseidon that year, and they kind of introduced us to a lot of this. And we didn't have our own athletics website until after, right after that. We you know, went back and put one together. And granted, those websites we put together back in those days were primitive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently speaking to what we have today. But there was just a point in time there during that winter, that 95-96 season, I was starting to look around one night. I couldn't find anything on Division II basketball anywhere. So I just made a decision on my own. I'm not trying to brag I'm just telling you what happened. That I'm just going to create something simple to kind of, you know, get something out there on Division II basketball. So that's kind of how it all started, where basically it was just like standings and stuff like the first year. Mm-hmm. I went to Boston for the the next summer in 1996, and the next thing you know, we're building a more comprehensive internet presence in Division Two. And some of the talk there was we're going to put together a Division Two website. Eric Hess at SIU Evansville was going to be you know, one kind of put in charge, and then we started putting together like individual sport pages, in some sports. So since I was already dealing with basketball, that's kind of where it kind of fell to me to you know continue that. It's just kind of grown since there, and. and now we have a Division II men's basketball site. We've had really kind of full-blown since 1996. And that's kind of how it all began. And, you know, it's – I can, you know, tell you, you go to our athletics website at Missouri S&T, you can go to the men's basketball page and you go to the uh, – you can go to the site right there and see what we have available to you. And it's kind of a combination of, you know, what's going on on a daily basis, you know, you know, where the net reach and polls are, where the history of Division Two basketball, you know, we'll have, you know, stuff updated throughout the NCAA tournament, including the Elite Eight when we're out there in Evansville, and just, you know, kind of keep people abreast of what's going on in Division Two basketball because we didn't have anything back then, and now this is, I guess, I won't say as a place that people certainly go to to find out what's going on on a daily basis. Yeah. So that's kind of how that all started right there was, you know, really from nothing that we had out there and just kind of created something to provide something. And I guess it just kind of grew. And, you know, now I've had, it's kind of surprised me now I've had this thing now for about 23 years. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, how does it make you feel to see that thing grow like that? Well, there's a sense of self pride to tell you the truth. Um, I think it's, you know, very, it keeps me very involved. And one thing I do now, and I've done this now, I guess, now it's hard to believe I've done this now for 15 years. Is I'm the liaison at the NABC to handle the coaches' poll, which I find I just worked on one here this afternoon when, I'm, when we're doing this broadcast here. Um, so it really kind of helps me really with that too, because I kind of know what's going on on a daily basis. I can kind of you know send information to the coaches that you know conduct the poll and all that. Say here's what's going on this past week, and here's you know some teams that are doing well, some teams that are you know maybe didn't do so well this last week, and you know, kind of give them as much information as I can provide them to, you know, be able to conduct the poll in a good way. So there's, you know, like I said, there's a little bit of self-pride being able to get this thing done and, you know, you know, feel like we're accomplishing something. But I'm doing it more, it's kind of a, you know, I'm trying to find the right words to use here. Labor of love, would you say? Yeah, yeah. You would call it that? I mean, it's... It's a bit of a year-round process, and I take some time off away from the seasons over with, just kind of get away from it a little bit. And then, really, it's a project that we have to start in August, you know, to start getting schedules together as they're starting to come out. And 
you know, trying to get them all in and posted and, you know, have them up ready to go by, by middle of October because now with exhibition games starting right after practice starts nowadays and your season starting the first of November with, you know, a couple of the early season events, it's right back, you're right back at it before you know it. Yeah, yeah. How has your uh, role with that uh, evolved over time? Maybe even your role as an SID evolved? Well, obviously the field's changed since I started in it. Um, when I started working at this university, you know, we were working a lot of stuff off fax machines and mailings and, you know, phone calls, stuff like that. Now basically we can almost do everything online. And that's, you know, that's the biggest, you know, I think just the way things are presented nowadays, you know, I think one thing that I think has changed as much as anything is now is how you present your stuff, you know, present your materials. Mm. And, you know, in the past, we'd write a lot of press releases, you know, going to games. You know, we'd do some game recaps to send out. I'd do a lot of that to our local newspapers, you know, for, you know, post-game stuff. Nowadays, we're putting it on our website, and they're picking it up from there, which is fine. I mean, we do our previews that way. We do our post-game that way. I think the biggest change, besides, obviously, the Internet and email and things like that, where we can do things electronically, is social media, obviously. And that also, I think, changed the approach we take to how we, you know, present our materials because people are looking more for the visuals, they're wanting to see the graphics. They're wanting to see the videos. They're wanting to see photos. Whereas the writing is kind of, I hate to say it, but the writing's kind of getting pushed aside a little bit, a little bit nowadays. And even the writing's changed too, where, you know, people are, you know, you're seeing more and more of it where people are using bullet point recaps or bullet point, you know, note type, you know, previews. Whereas my background is to write a story. Right, yeah. And I think you're seeing, you know, I'm not saying, you know, our, there's very good writers in our profession at all levels. So and I love reading a lot of their work, too. And I certainly like to, you know, emulate that as much as I can. I, I consider myself a pretty good writer, too. So I want to still be able to put out a good story on whatever it might be, whether it be a game or an individual or whatever, you know, we're trying to promote there. And I feel like that's kind of getting pushed aside a little bit for the visuals that people are wanting to see these days. And I think social media has been the reason for that. I'm not saying anything's wrong with social media because I use it myself, and I think it's a great way to get the word out. I just think somehow that's changed a little bit of how we do things too. Yeah, can totally agree with that. Here, um, I wanted to. Some people may know your name uh, as far as maybe a little bit of Cosida role. So I think. We caught up with you. I don't. I don't remember if we actually uh, were able to talk or not at Coside in DC. But uh, you just served as a four-year term president. So what were some? Th- what was your role like? What was your duties like? I mean, how did you administrate all that? Well, I served two terms as a DT side president. Um, I had three predecessors to role. One, obviously, Roy Picker was the first one that you know as well too. Mm-hmm. Wesleyan, and a very good friend of mine, and he. Um, I think he had a hand in getting me into the you know, presidency role in time. So I think the biggest thing was just to try to keep a lot of the things that my predecessors had done. It had been Roy and, Roy and Rich Herman and Greg Goings, who were all preceded me in the um, president's role. And my job 
One was to try to keep the things they had done and try to build on that. And I think another thing we you know try to do is try to figure out some you know ways to continue to promote Division Two and kind of work with. And we had really two things that went on during the, the four years I was there. Number one is the NCAA went through a new rebranding campaign of its own for Division Two, and that's the Make It Yours stuff you see all over the place. So we were kind of there when all this was taking place. Hmm. So, our, you know, we were trying to you know, work with the NCAA to kind of help with the promotion of that new branding initiative that they put together here a few years ago. And also, I think, you know, just some things we saw, and this, one of these came from an Elite Eight, actually, was to try to, you know, make sure that, you know, to try to improve some things within Division Two as far as, like, you know, the qualities of selection shows, for instance, yeah. Um, making sure we had the proper logos for teams. We had a problem in Elite Eight a couple of years ago having an incorrect logo for a school, you know, on stuff on a broadcast, actually. Mm. So try to make sure we had some of that stuff correct. We've gotten a lot more involved with co-sign of programming um, for Divisional Day. And that's now been turned over to, you know, my successor, Josh Mank, at Exam Commerce. And fortunately for Josh, he's on the programming committee, too, so it does help, you know, I think to have that tie-in with that. And just try to come up with a good programming plan for Cosida. So our membership would have, you know, some good things to go see on our divisional day and try to get our membership involved. And I think that's one thing we also want to try and do, too. And I, one of the things I really made an effort last year in particular with our programming was to try to get some new voices on the podium that we had not heard from, you know, because everybody's got good ideas and I think it's an opportunity to get some different people up there to kind of give some different concepts and different you know philosophies and all that that we haven't seen before and I think that was one of the things you know, I made a goal of last year when we were putting down the programming for Washington DC was to get some different voices up there that we hadn't heard from in the past and certainly open up some opportunities for people you know for others too well, why do you think that that's important to kind of diversify the voices in this field? Well, I think it gives more people an opportunity for a leadership role. And that's, you know, I think this, you know, is kind of maybe an overarching thing with Cosina too, where you have an opportunity to, one of the things I think that kind of came about with when we developed D2 Sida, which at first when they did this, it was it was really interesting. It was back in Nashville, 2006, and you thought that D2 was to secede from the union or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't the case at all. It was basically we had our own issues that we could deal with. And what it's done is well, it led to the D3 side, it led to the NAI side, so on and so forth. Hmm. And it's been, I think it's been a good concept. And now we have divisional days for all our memberships that your program is specifically for your division. And it's not saying you couldn't go over and see a DB3 session or a D2 or vice versa. We had a session last year, in fact, with the Genius Source software that we had for Division 2, but we had people from all the divisions in there, which was great. We had a full room, and I think it gave people a really, it was the first opportunity for people to really see this new software. But it's going to get off topic there a little bit. But I think what we did when we kind of created D2 Sida was we wanted to create opportunities for people to gain leadership positions. And, you know, going through a little officer rotation, we've got board members, and it gives people a chance 
to gain that kind of leadership experience. I don't think I get the spot I'm in right now on the side of board if I don't get this first opportunity here as a DJ side of president. Mm-hmm. As so, I think it's a little bit of a tie-in with that. I think you know, gaining the experience I got there, getting to know the side of leadership during the trips I made to the NCAA convention during those four years, that thing certainly was beneficial. And I want to continue to be a voice for Division Two with the Cosida Board. That's my whole, you know, that's one of my main goals right there is to continue to be that liaison to them. So I think it's very important. And I think certainly getting your voice out there and getting your name out there, if you certainly, you know, see people up on the podium, for instance, at a Divisional Day session, you're going to have an opportunity to kind of put a name to the face and, you know, say this guy here or this lady here is going to be someone we can certainly look to in a leadership role going forward. Yeah. So what are some ways do you... You present those opportunities for them right there. Yeah, yeah. So what are uh, maybe some other ways that uh, maybe somebody who, who's sitting here listening to the show is thinking about wanting to be a little bit more leadership role with Cosidon, just SIDs in general. I mean, you're saying that kind of volunteer, speak up a little bit, but maybe what are some other ways that you think that they can do that? I think number one is you can get on a committee. Um, Cosidon's got a lot of committees out there and... Certainly, I know some committees are looking for people, and I think that's a great opportunity to get your foot in the door right there, where you're actually working with other members of Cosida. You're working from people across the country and even people within your own divisions, obviously, and you have a chance right there to kind of get your foot in the door. I think next, you know, you certainly, you know, take the opportunities, like I said, to, you know, maybe speak on panels. Like, so not necessarily divisional day. You can speak on other panels as well. And, you know, kind of get your name out there a little bit. I think that's the biggest thing is to get your name into the fold somewhere to where people know who you are. Yeah. And then from there, you know, take opportunities to, you know, work events and, you know, work big events. Get your, you know, like I said, get your name out there in some way where, you know, people see your commitment to, you know, working in the profession and all that. And I think certainly that's going to pay dividends going forward. You know, when those opportunities come up to, you know, get into an officer rotation or get on a board or something like that, you certainly take those opportunities and are there. Awesome. Well, that sounds good, and that's some advice that you guys can take home with you. But, uh, John, I'd like to uh, shift gears here a little bit, maybe some, ask you some fun questions if that's all right with you. Let's do it. All right. What's your favorite memory in your professional tenure? I would say there's probably a few of them, to tell you the truth. But... I'm going to probably say about two or three in particular. I'd say number one was going back to 1996, and we won men's basketball championship at NYAA. We had not won in 20 years, and we had a tremendous team that season. We were one game short of the Elite Eight. We got beaten the regional championship game. We hosted the regional that year. It was kind of a whirlwind year for me because my son was born that year, too, during the season. So it was... um, in fact, he was born on a game night, of all things. But just to go through the exhilaration of a season like that was a thrill. I mean, you couldn't, you just couldn't beat, you know, just night in, night out. You always felt like you could win the game. And just the adrenaline, you know, rush that you got from just the success you were having was just something you just don't forget. I think we had a little bit of that with football this past season, you know, where we had a really, really good team this year and went to a postseason game for the first time in nearly seven decades. 
and then to you know go up and win the game up in Excelsior Springs at the Mineral Water Bowl was you know just a great you know thrill not just from my standpoint but just seeing the enjoyment that our team had and the the people involved with the program were having with that just that postseason experience they got to get that weekend up in the Kansas City area and that was I mean certainly I felt great for them you know just to see what they were getting to go through you know that at that time. You know, we've had other teams that, you know, along the way I saw our swing team finish second in the nation one year when we were hosting the national meeting in Columbia, and our team finished second in the country. We've had individual national champions. We had one last year. We had two, won two national championships last year in swimming on an individual basis. We've had, you know, another teams go to NCAA play and, you know, a lot of sports. I think one other one I would throw in there, too, was our baseball team in 2011. We got we got on a roll late in the season, and we won our division. And I was telling our coaches near the end of the season, I said, you know, we were trying to figure out how to, you know, to play this thing. And I said, you know, we haven't won anything in almost four decades, <laughs> so let's let's go for this thing. And we ended up winning the division. We got the conference tournament. We got knocked out the second day, but we got to the regional, and just to see the excitement our team had. With, when they announced our team was going to go to play in the regional that season, was something you'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. And I... then you go to the regional and win our first game with the defending national champions. And that's, you know, and then, you know, two, you know, five years later, we get back to the regional and we get to the championship game and we get back, beat by Southern Indiana before they win the national championship that year. So, but, you know, we had a great run in the regional that year, too. And we went. We won four straight elimination games to get back to a championship game and just, you know, couldn't pull it out that day. And so they were just a little bit better team than us that particular weekend. But, you know, just things like that are just things that are just so thrilling. There's so many of them over, you know, 29 years now. It just, you know, you can't really necessarily pinpoint the one. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine. I think I last year I kind of got caught up in the uh, softball as well. Um, I remember sitting there watching the live stats uh, eating pizza back home in Madison, Indiana, and uh, I was at a pizza's place, and I was like, uh, "I don't know what to do. I want to scream right now. I want to throw stuff, but uh, I can't because I'm in a public restaurant." But um, yeah, I, it sounds like there's there's a lot of memories in there. But what about some uh, what about some horror stories over your tenure? Well, we've got our share of those too. Oh yeah, yeah. In Twenty nine years, you've come up with a few of those. You know, things. I think more about bigger stories are things don't go right. And, you know, your, your equipment breaks down during a game or something like that. You had your, I think mean, one just this past year alone, I'll just, you know, cite that story just for one, is we're playing UIndy in a big football game in the conference. Um, it's a big, from a conference standpoint, big from a regional standpoint, you know, it's a game that the winner is probably going to win the conference title or certainly be, have the driver's seat to win it. Sure, I'll go one, two in the league anyways. But anyhow, we have a game that we're dealing with three weather delays. And we lose our video stream during the game. Nice. And here's a game that, you know, the people who could make to the game wanted to obviously see in some form. And then we had a lot of people leave, unfortunately, during the first weather delay, which lasted about an hour and a half. And didn't come back to the stadium. And they thought they can go back home and watch the game. And we couldn't provide it for them because all our equipment got some of our key equipment got wet during the storm that came through. And we just lost our video at night. 
so it was just it was kind of a shame when something like that happened and you know we and we tried everything we could to try to get it back and we just couldn't get it back yeah it was just one of those unfortunate things like I said some of the just the horror story things is you know when things just don't go as planned mm, yeah. and unfortunately you know we do you know run into that from time to time when you know your PA system goes out in a baseball game or did during a football game about a year or so ago for us, not this past year, but 17. Last game of the season, all our speakers blew in our stadium. Good. Before we even did our senior day introductions. Good. Well, you're, and you're trying to do the senior day stuff, and it just sounds awful over the loudspeakers. And there was nothing we could really do about it at that point in time. We had to go out and try to find some, just find some way to kind of get through the day. And we still had a whole game to play, too. You know, some little things like that that come about that are probably the bigger horror issues that we've come across over the years. What are some things you're uh, interested in to learn more about in this profession? I'd like to get a little bit better, honestly, at some video stuff. I'm trying to learn trying to learn if I'd actually put together our, our video last year for our banquet. I'd like to get a little better at doing the system where it's a little cleaner than what we put out there. It was, it was Okay, I'll just say that. Could have been better. Uh-huh. But I want to get better at doing it. And that's, you know, things like that. I think you always want to try and get better at things you're doing. I don't think there's any question about it. I think we're all striving to be the best we can be at what we do. And that's you know, one area I think I'd like to be a little bit better at is, you know, like the video aspect of it. My sister's pretty good at it right now. Um it's something I'd like to get a little better at myself. But there was also, you know, you know, it was coming down the road. I mean, when I started out in 1990, I didn't, we didn't see all the stuff we have today. You know, we worked off fax machines back in that day. We don't even use a fax machine for anything anymore. It was very seldom we even touched that thing. Yeah. We have, you know, everything we do through, you know, basically send it on a computer or look it up on a computer. And, you know, basically the computer back in, 1990, 1991 was used basically just put stuff together, put your memos together, your releases together. Now you can basically just put it on the, the form you want to put it on and create a PDF out of it and send it out. Mm. Yeah, basically that kind of boils it, how, boils it down, doesn't it? So um, what's one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? I would say learn as much as you can. Um, don't be afraid to take on any tasks. Um there's going to be some tasks that you may not be totally comfortable with in some ways as you've got, you know, but I think my biggest lesson I would say is to try to learn as much as you possibly can. And that's maybe the lesson I learned as a GA was try to, you know, learn as many elements of the job as I could to take going forward. And I think that's, you know, one thing, it's a piece of advice, I guess I gleaned from our men's basketball coach. And one thing he, you know, said one time when you're in a hiring process is prepare that person for their next job. So basically, for those who you know work under me, my job is to prepare that person for the next thing. One of my former assistants now the head SID up at Lewis, Luke Rennie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had my current assistant I know is like move up in the field as well, Claire Johnson, let's move up in the field as well. And that's, you know, our job, and I have a student assistant, Patrick Murphy, that, you know, is wanting to, you know, 
learn as much as he can, just be a sponge. And that's the thing I would probably tell any, you know, student assistant or a grad assistant too, just, you know, be a sponge and learn as much as you can and try to learn as much as you can because the better your skill set is going forward, your better opportunities are going to come for you. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Um, in your mind, what traits or characteristics make a good SID? Thing number one, you have to be a good listener uh, because you're going to have you're going to hear um, you know, questions from pretty much every direction. You have to be consistent with how you approach things, and you have to show a work ethic. You got to be have a passion for it because if you if you lack that passion, you're not going to make it this field you're just gonna burn yourself out but you gotta be sensible how you do it too i mean i know you talked about this with some of your other guests and all that you know you've got to find a balance and i think that's probably the fourth element right there is you got to find a balance between work and your personal life now i'll make the mistake i'll admit i make the mistake once in a while i bring work home with me but i'm at home at least and i feel a little better than being in the office for hours upon hours upon hours but i try to you know Maybe limits that work to later at night when I can spend, you know. You know, but it's. I think they just got to find that balance too, and I think that's the other key to it. That's my next question, uh, John. Uh, what's your work-life balance? What do you do to have fun? I know you're, you're kind of recording from home right now, so uh, what else do you do? Well, one thing I'd make a point of trying to do is try to work out daily. Um, it's a means to kind of clear my mind, to kind of keep myself healthy. Um, Things like that. That's, you know, one thing I think I make a point of is to try to, you know, take care of myself in that regard. Because if you don't care of yourself, you're not going to be around this thing very long. Um, you know, you try to make time for family. That's, you know, we got, you know, I've got two adult children now. So, but they kind of, you know, kind of grew up with me in this profession a little bit. Maybe I could have spent a little more time with them when I was growing up. But, you know, I try to do the most I can with them. Um try to, you know, do things with all with church and all that as ways to, you know, kind of get away from things, you know, this profession as well, where I don't spend much time worrying about that or talking about that there. You know, try to get yourself involved. The other thing you try to do is get involved maybe with being on your campus, just to kind of give yourself another perspective. But, you know, work with some, in some other areas and get to know people up on your campus too. And just try to find some other ways to have fun. I like not... And I like to play sports and all that. I've, you know, played a lot of a lot of softball, you know, in my adult life. For instance, I'm not doing it nowadays, so I've had a couple of injuries that kind of got me out of the game. But, you know, still like to be around sports, you know, watch you know, good TV shows, like to cook, things like that. So there's a lot of things I do also for fun and all that, too. Uh, next travel, time, sorry, go ahead. I travel a little bit, too, when the opportunities are there. Granted, it's only usually during the summer, so... Uh, next time someone is in the Rala area, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Let's see. Well, obviously one place a lot of people will go to when they come here is Alex's Pizza downtown. Um, it's a, kind of a Greek-Italian restaurant. Um, they serve a Greek-style pizza there, and then they serve... You know, some great food, Italian food there. So that's that's a place I would say, if you want to go find a local fare, that would be where I would say to go first. Another place I would also throw in there, too, um, is a place called Slice of Pie. And if you ask anybody who's gone there, 
they're here, you'll want to go back when you go back to town. And they serve, I mean, they've got just about every pie under the sun they can make there. Nice. And they're doing great business. And you could go in there and order a pie by the slice. You buy whole pies. You can, you know, it's, and it's terrific. Awesome. Uh, well, John, if anybody had any questions for you, maybe wanted to follow up with you, what would be the best way to do it? Um, certainly contact by my email. It's uh, jkean at mst.edu. So don't feel afraid to ask me a question and all that. I'll try to answer the best I can for you. Um, you know, I am on Twitter also. Uh, my handle there is at John Keen SID. And I'm also on Facebook, so certainly, like I said, you know, I have, I'm on social media. You know, I don't spend a lot of time on, you know, writing on Twitter, but I do read Twitter a lot. I do read Facebook quite often and sometimes post there, too. But, you know, certainly, you know, want to reach me by any of those means, certainly feel free to do so. Awesome. Well, John, thank you very much. Uh, glad you were here the uh, other week, and I'm hoping, looking forward to seeing you again. Uh, nice always to have a fellow GLVC guy on. Well, same here, David. Thank you very much. No problem. Well, guys, there you have it. Glad that uh, you guys are all doing well. I know that this was kind of a busy time for many of you hosting, maybe volunteering and stuff like that. Love seeing everything that you guys have done. Um, looking forward to getting strictly into the spring season. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. And like I said in the beginning, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, maybe not Instagram, wherever you can find us at Sports Evilcast on all of our social media platforms. You can also sign up for a newsletter, sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Do that and more, guys. I thank you all for listening. I hope to catch you all in the next episode.